Welcome everybody to Resonate Radio. Today we bring you another installment of the Dank Hour. As always, the conversation is hosted live on Clubhouse Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Stay tuned coming this week as well for another episode of the Canna Book Club. That is also hosted live on Clubhouse at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Mondays. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, on Twitch. Resonate Media is the place you can find us. And get through to us on Instagram, at Team Resonate. If there's any topics that you'd like to see covered, if there's any, any interviews that you would like to see held, let us know. I'd love to hold those down. And make sure we bring all the perspectives from the cannabis industry here to you all at Resonate Radio. Thank you all for the support. And I look forward to releasing the treasure trove of interviews that we already have recorded. Stay tuned, everybody. Happy Halloween. And we'll catch you all live on Clubhouse, wherever the place may be, on our Telegram chat. Much love, everyone. Have a wonderful day. I think I think I'm gonna put this conversation over to Anita because there's there's an interesting perspective you have as uh, that kind of middle salesperson between the farm and and the final customer base. I think you bring a really awesome perspective. What are the what are you seeing as a common request or the common you know uh, trends of consumers right now? Because you're right, there's this very big disconnect between uh, the fact that there is, you know, when a strain comes out like runs, A, they, they, it takes a lot of work and a lot of time to find the specific one. And then after that point in time, there's a lot of work that has to be done with it to A, you know, grow it out and get it spread out there, but also to really hone in how to grow it. So when we see, the thing is that in Canada, when we see these strains pop off, like runs or so i'm just i'm just throwing this out as an example over example right now because it's something very popular in the market um is we get this oh this is relevant now but it's still got to get hunted and found and brought up here right like it's still like so when we see something like a brand new wine that comes to market it's not like that where it's like oh yeah i'm five years the wine that we produce is still there no it's it's got to be produced and developed over time and, and brought in so in me i was really wondering just uh what do you find is the commonality and the conclusions in your area southern ontario i think we'll bring a really interesting perspective as well so um, i don't like there's you know what i i totally agree there's a, a a large group of um consumers that aren't buying right now um from like the legal market because of the fact that they're actually looking for um those those classic strains or the classic kind of types of of like um you know hash or or whatnot like it like the the concentrates and things like like jameson said that you know we we're we didn't we're not we're, like people are wanting to start at the beginning and and have our own type of path to like different types of cultivars and and crosses like in a natural way but 
um, it does feel like, you know, some of the times that um, the government bodies that do do the purchasing or when, um, like, I know, like, the way that in Ontario, the way that it is, is that um, the, uh, like, the producer or the brand will go and they'll have, um, they'll have to present um, the, the, the cultivars and the like in the uh the consumption like or like the way that they're going to like either it's a 3.5 gram or like a pre-roll or a concentrate or whatnot uh, or like an edible and they'll like accept or decline based on whatever it is criteria they feel like really um and so like they have a lot of control over what gets into the market like so there's it's a very small type of a funnel yes there are like you know, a lot of people that put in requests or put in like um, reasons why we sh they should bring in this or that or whatnot. But ultimately, it's this this deciding board, right? And and they've asked for these like cultivars that um, are very narrow in view, like especially like you know the I don't know where this happened, but is above the twenty percent mark? Um, like that, it seems to be like anything like above is good anything below is bad like i don't and it, it's a hard sell and then it, it's a very difficult like uh market that there's it, it's happened because we i know you know everyone's like people that know um you know it the, the thc percentage doesn't necessarily dictate you know the type of experience that you're having it's it's more to do with the whole thing you know all the cannabinoids all the chemicals that are in there and that you know information seems to be um, removed from the decision process there is a huge uh, disconnect between um that like you know the education and and the knowledge of what it is that people are buying or want to buy um because they are looking down south i think that, that i think jameson is totally right and they're not asking um the the actual consumers or they're looking to see what they are buying and then trying to forward predict it but they're buying what's available which is not necessarily what people want and so um yeah there's a huge gap uh, you know a lot of people are looking like i know that for one of the brands that we came online is it was a, a classic black hash and it hasn't come to canada like or ontario yet and it's made like in the classic way and people are it sold out in two days. Um, and it's because that's like, they have other options available, but people are looking for, I think it has something to do with the nostalgia too. Like it's finally happened that we're, they're legalized and Ontario is kind of lagging in the, in the actual like opening of all the stores up until like December, we only had a hundred stores in all of Ontario. And now like as of last, week it was it's hit a thousand so between december and august there's a like eight nine hundred over 900 stores opened up right and so everybody's just kind of like excited to like be here is basically how it feels right and nobody's really asking like the 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 details of like okay now what should we carry or what what is it that like people are actually buying and a lot of it has to do with the consumers are acting like they're 
in a candy store. They're trying shit that they never tried before, right? And and they're interested in everything. Um, and it's a little, a little ADHD, but where it's going to land, well, it's it we'll see. Um, but um, that's basically the perspective. Sorry if I went on for a bit there, but like that's that was uh, you know that that's my perspective on it, I guess. Excellent. Awesome, Anita. Yeah, no, that was an amazing answer. And I think one thing that we that we need to touch on while we're talking about these requested name strains, you know, these specific cultivars, uh, is, is, is this is a perfect point to jump over to Dr. Anibis and, and, and ask her a question. Simply like, you know, when we have these, these base crosses that are done, these F1 finds that become very popular, because most of them aren't. They're usually clone mother consistency plants, and then it's kind of pheno-hunted. Dr. Anibis, you've done a fair bit of testing. What is the, the consistency and the actual genetic markers of strains of the same name but distributed through different locations? So, like, it, 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 we might have a gelato up here that is awesome cream. It's got all the traits and signs of it, but it might not have that many of the original gelato genetic traits. And so I'm wondering, what have you noticed in your time or as consistencies in your market in general. Thank you, Dr. Adam. Yeah, so um, one of my research items that, I, that was actually my first research question was how consistent are, are the genetics when you have the same name for a strain but purchase it at different dispensaries, different locations? Um, and using actual genetic tools to, the question is e pretty easy to answer because the question is, are these things genetically identical or at least very similar in the, in the, in the way that you would expect um, um, to see either from clones, they would be identical if they're from the same mother or if they're from seed, like feminized seed or something like that, you would also expect them to be highly similar and um, tw I tested 30 different strains that had more than uh, two or more uh, iterations of the same strain from different locations and of those 30 strains that I tested 27 of them had at least one genetic outlier so um, so there is uh, a sort of generally speaking a, a um, a, a lack of consistency. It's not horrible. I mean, it's kind of not unexpected given that people are trading things and for a long time, not great record keeping. There is no, you know, database where, you know, like if you, if you develop a new cultivar of tomato or apple, you can take it down to your plant protection um, office and, and register your new variety with, data such as you know morphology taste things that set it apart from everything else um, and also you would log in generally speaking some sort of genetic data that would set it apart from other uh, cultivars um, especially when you have you know I think there's um, there's thousands of different kinds of apples there's you know something like 80,000 different kinds of tomatoes so um, when you have that many different varieties of something that genetic data then becomes really important because when you when you when you line up all of these different types of tomatoes, they sort of begin to look really similar in some respects uh, from from variety to variety. So um, 
but I, and and here's here's some issues so there's always been a lot of breeding going on with cannabis and that's great that's fine i love it um so many unique varieties so many talented breeders are doing different things but now uh that we have this legal market there are people that are just dabbling in you know uh growing getting regular seed um growing out males and then being like well I'll just pollinate see what happens so we're kind of getting um I wouldn't I don't want to say irresponsible breeding but just breeding that's not really um keeping track as well as a seasoned breeder somebody who's been doing this for a while and actually knows what they're doing um there's a lot of novice breeders and they're naming things um you know i mean you can name just like you can name your kids whatever you want there is some sort of heritage there with your last name but that can get washed out you know the more that you the more kids you have the grandkids you have the great grandkids you have so it's not this i don't necessarily think we need to stick with the name so if you have a wedding cake line you don't need to keep that wedding cake or part of that wedding cake name although it does seem to be kind of the way the preferred way that if you have let's say I don't know, strawberry cough and then wedding cake and you cross those two, you might call it like red velvet cake or something because the strawberries are red, wedding cake, I don't know. But it seems to be like the names do have something generally um, to do with the the ancestry of the line. Um, and I think I was going to say something else, but um, it's just sort of, you know, I, I I don't know if it's going to get any better. I think we do need some sort of genetic database where um, people can at least submit, you know, what they've bred and have some sort of um, paper trail or 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 electronic signature uh, associated with their with what they've bred, just for record keeping and and whatnot. Um, um, and I don't really see it because it is like you know other countries are starting to open up uh as well i don't see it getting less complicated in the near future but i think at some point um you know as we get further into the industry there will be an opportunity for people to at least register cultivars and have you know some sort of protection for themselves for the work that and and resources that they put into their breeding efforts and also to help growers and and people purchasing seeds or clones actually have some sort of um like almost like a coa but like for are you getting what you purchased um does it genetically match what it's supposed to be um and also for consumers so that they know that they are purchasing what it says on the label because right now there there's at any point in the chain of um the uh the supply chain there could be a mess up unless you're the actual breeder but even then the parents that you use may not have been what you thought they were um when you bred them so Right now, it's kind of a mess, but I think I think we'll get there. And I think we've had conversations about this um, and when Manny was here and Jameson about uh, sort of having instead of having favorite names, maybe if attaching a breeder name to to those strains. What was that? 
or a phenotype like you know you need to yeah to identify that this is this phenotype you know you typically see a lot of growers well is it the you know there's the pink pheno or the green pheno or the meaty pheno versus the yeah you know and so kind of just uh, at further level of education you know getting people to understand phenotypic variation the same way that they understand that you know my i have three sons and only one of them's good at football um, you know, that's mm-hmm. very normal for a human to wrap their head around. But if I say, I'll give you three gelato seeds and or not gelato seeds, that's a horrible example. I'll give you three strawberry banana seeds and, uh, and you know, only one of them will grow properly for you. They'll be like, well, that doesn't really make sense to me. So I think really good letting people understand phenotypic variation and the importance of having, you know, okay, you, you can have you know, a lot of people, gelato 41, for example, is a, is a phenotype of gelato that was identified. And a lot of people say that they have it. And when, you know, when asked about it, I'm like, oh, well, how, how is it? Oh, it's so fruity. Well, you don't have gelato 41 if that's what the impression it made on you, right? You have some other gelato or maybe something else that's fruity, but you don't have gelato 41 because I know that that smells like melted plastic. And, um, <laughs> and so, you know, that, that to me is, sort of the next logical step is sort of identifying phenotypes but Mm -hmm. i'd really be interested to hear from like marley and ashley you know about their market and sort of what they're seeing as far as what's moving in their you know markets and what people are looking at and excited to you know see oh and i was gonna say too like uh you know a lot of consumers who are buying purchasing seeds or 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 even product from stores don't understand you know like what s1 means versus an inbred line so there's that level too but yeah marley or ashley either one of you if you want to or london if yeah sure um kind of like what jameson hit on you get a lot of the cookies uh wedding cake ice cream cake are big a lot of the gmo strains i think anita hit it on the head when you know we've got certain buyers that will not purchase if it's below 20 percent, which is such a shame but I do see trends moving more towards terpenes, um, which I love. In my opinion, you get a little bit more predictive effect with terpenes. But, you know, we use customers also, too. I mean, you see purple weed, and they're like, oh, my God, I have to try that. So high testing. Um, a lot of a lot of the market in Michigan really likes the more sedative strains. So one of our top sellers actually doesn't, Test over 20%, but it's our most sedative, and you see almost that uh, <clears throat> the market picking those. When we look at our top 20, what is that? Items that we, sorry, what uh, cultivar is that? So we have Larry Burger, and then we've also, um, so that one's one of our new ones. We haven't released that one yet, but everybody at the grow is always just like, oh my god, that looks so great. But what's the uh, one that, that is under 20% that's the most sedative? So we have sour banana sherbet. Um, great strain. It tests at like 17, maybe 18. Um, really high in mercine. But, I mean, I've smoked that strain and almost like not even been able to function. So I, I love that strain. Yeah, it smells so fabulous. But right now in Michigan, and I don't know if it's COVID-related, but pre-rolls are the top selling thing and marley actually was just touching on that today at at work um it's the top selling thing in the state so i think there's definitely a Here convenience too. factor Here yeah too. yeah but convenience factor um 
So I think, you know, we roll so many pre-rolls in a week. That is always what we're sending to our stores. So I think it's just people like to go in, get as fucked up as they can. You know, our top sellers are our highest THC, our most sedative, and our most convenient, hands down. Also, you know, rolling it, rolling a joint is the is is a lost art or die, you know a dying art. So you know, convenience no is king. I'd like to sort of switch it the question a little bit with for Marley, just as for her expertise in in field is you know, what do what are the trends you're seeing in not only the cultivars being used for extraction, you know, we know GMO being really good and things like that, but in in your market, like what form factors, how much of the market is solventless versus, you know, uh, butane derived or, or other polar solvents and, you know, are people into jar curing? Just expand on sort of what you're seeing in the in the trends in that space. Yeah, definitely. So it kind of, um, what I've found is we have two different clients within the processing department. We have our vape people and our edible people and those tend to go towards like the fruity you know they don't really care about strain selection they want it to be fruity really nice smell to it they don't really care about what the phenotype is nothing about that so we actually we started off with our vape flavors going with you know the same ones as our strain i try to mimic our terpene profile to our plants with the vape carts did this whole you know effort just it turns out that blueberry just a plain blueberry is a top seller and we just did a poll that um you know i was looking to get more vape flavors in our lineup and it was just you know strawberry blueberry watermelon like they don't really care about um the phenotypes which is fine but then you have the other clientele which prefers honestly at this point i'd say solventless is taking over um it's still behind other places, but it's definitely evident that people are preferring, you know, solventless. They care about jar tech a little bit more than they were in the past. Before it was just like we were talking about hash, um, butane, anything that you could really smoke. And uh, what's crazy to me is just seeing how new this market is. You know, five, 10 years ago, people were still making it in their houses, leaving so much butane and solvent left in it and it's come a really long way but you definitely can see that we still have a ways to go and getting people to learn and care more about the terpenes than just the name of it i mean you still have people coming to the dispensaries looking for indica sativa hybrid and so trying to kind of elevate that knowledge on terpene basis i think everything's going to fall into place especially with you know, going more towards solventless items. So I would say we're still behind um, in terms of other markets, but you can definitely see the shift going towards solventless and caring more about terpenes, but you still have a ways to go. Very cool. What, what are there certain, do you, are there strains that are like Michigan specific that you find like there's large popularity in your in the, your market? And then, you know, when you talk to people, say, in a California market, they've never heard of, you know, that cultivar that's so prevalent in yours. You know, I'm really I'd have to ask Ashley about that in terms of what's popular here and not in other markets. I'm not completely sure. Um, I know in terms of like our biggest producers, it just so happens that you know, some of her favorite strains and the most popular for flower happen to be the best yielders for my concentrate. So we do kind of have this 
Uh, mimosa is one of them. Platinum garlic is another one that I love taking and making concentrates from. And it also happens to be a huge seller in our dispensaries. Um, but yeah, Ash, do you know if there's any that are more Michigan based? I would definitely say more of the cakes breed uh, strains. So in Colorado, it was definitely more, I would say, old school or longer lineages. So Blue Dream, um, Hash Plant, GG4. I mean, GG4 is big up here too, but I would definitely say that there are more cake strains up here than back in Colorado where I started. But I think as that kind of grows, people are kind of, I would definitely say there are more sedative strains in Michigan, hands down, than in Colorado. Uh, Colorado, you still have like your sour diesels and green crags. So I think it's popular with kind of the population. There's definitely more blue collar workers in Michigan, I would say. So I think at the end of the day, they're trying to, come home, relax after a long day. So I would say that that trend is definitely more towards sedative in Michigan versus Colorado, where they're just like, yeah. I want to go also, walk in nature. Yeah, also opioid issues. I mean, it's not fun to talk about, but we see that, like, you know, British Absolutely. Columbia, you know, super prevalent, you know, one of the worst, Vancouver's one of the worst hotspots, and, you know, nobody's, you know, looking for a, a zingy equatorial to, you know, take the edge off, right? So, um you know, I think that those are, you know, huge with helping people deal with with those addictions as well and, and why they're so prevalent. And like, I mean, you know, even myself, like I gravitate towards the most sedative stuff I can find. And so I think that, you know, that's a commonality. And, you know, it's funny because when cannabis first legalized in Canada and even and, and much less so now, but when it first legalized and, you know, everybody was sort of figuring learning this indica sativa like you know sedative energizing and and then there's fruity and there's earthy and there's gassy and there's floral and and so like the commoner you know the the scotch swilling ceo is like you know well my target market's gonna want something that's energizing and fruity and so i'm looking for the the purest fruitiest sativa i can find and and you know not not understanding you know not only the non-feasibility for the flowering time but also that you know the average person when given a a, a you know a long flowering equatorial is gonna is gonna go to the hospital like they're gonna feel like they're having a heart attack um you know when you get the you know a, like a robert's creek congo or something like you know you're not ready for it so i think that it's you know an interesting thing when you sort of educate a layman about sort of cannabis and and what it can do for you and and sort of just because the stereotype of the lazy stoner is there they want to oh no you know i want the energizing stuff or or you know i have people all the time ask me oh do you have stuff that suppresses my appetite and i'm like if i gave you the stuff that suppresses your appetite you'd feel like you're having a heart attack you know clean your house up and down and maybe you know everybody there's different you know people like different flower and i've met people who love that stuff but i generally the consumer wants a sedative experience whether they recognize that or not and i'm that's that's my opinion 
I, I love that. I, in Canada, we had this weird point where we had that. I don't know if you had it in Alberta too. You saw the game. It was the BC cannabis stores when they opened up the legal ones. They had these giant terpene wheels in the middle of the restaurant. In the middle, I won't say right now. In the middle of the venue. Do you, do you remember? Did you have anything similar to this? In, oh yeah, we had. Yep. It, even then, it was just like, oh, it was god awful, and it didn't really. And it, each terpene had a different uh, vitality feel to it. It didn't make a whole ton of sense. And then, it, regardless, everybody was just going for high THC, you know, either sativa or indica. And it's been really interesting. Like, I mean, Dr. Anubis, land race sativas. I mean, we could talk about sativas that have been going for a really long time, but are there really a lot of like what it makes a land race sativa land race sativa are there any identifiable traits uh you know this is <laughs> this is maybe maybe i opened two bags of it maybe i i got a big bag this is a big bag to open but i will say that um you know the term land race as it's applied is not super correct and, and we've talked about, you know, terminology before and how different terms are used uniquely in the cannabis space. Um, but, you know, really what they are is they're a locally adapted, you know, uh, cultivated variety. So to me, it seems like these quote unquote land race strains, they're locally adapted um, to these different environments. Um, so, you know, of course, you're going to have taller, spindlier plants closer to the equator where it's warmer, and you're going to have the shorter squatter plants in places where it's colder. That just makes sense in my brain. Um, but it hasn't, I mean, I think... Did it, I say it, land race? I, I, thought I, I thought I said equatorial. No, no, but, yeah. but London did. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, no, I, no. I, 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 and then no, I yeah. to jump it's funny. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a term that's used, and it's a term that lots of people, you know, understand and are familiar with. But to me, it's, you know, it's, it's phenotypic plasticity. This plant has a whole lot of genetic diversity. It can um, do, you know, amazing things when you put it in different <laughs> situations. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the biological, uh, and we've talked about, you know, these the sativas and the way they look, the, you know, the effects are not related to what they look like, um, but that what they look like is definitely related to where they grow or have, you know, historically grown. Um, so the, yeah, again, we're mixing, we're, we're using similar terminology for two different things that are not correlated. So we have to be careful about when we're talking about indicas and sativas and effects and, um, Indica and sativa in terms of where they have grown, right? Does that make sense? Did I answer your question? I don't know if I answered your question. A hundred percent. That actually answered the question that I was trying to direct it though, which is perfect. And and these these like so they have some genetic plasticity, right? They're able to adapt a little bit. What would it like these facilities that James in my have? He's on the phone right now, clearly. That that has what would there these plants grow a little bit differently as they're lankier like their yields aren't as as producing good I, I would love to know some more details on that maybe we'll wait for jameson to open that up but i mean i would love to know 
are we using the same terminology like sativa indica hybrid uh, is that something that's as common where you guys are located ashley and marley yeah i think that is a definitely something that's going to be hard to get people to move away from i mean it's been a part of the market for so long that that's what people identify with um just naturally but it's definitely something that we're trying to teach people and i've seen other companies actually in michigan really moving moving away from that but i think it's just so common for people to identify with that oh it's uplifting it's a sativa so you definitely see it but i think everybody's getting to the point where they're trying to use different criteria to um, educate people on maybe what that experience is going to be more than like Anna said more than the look more than the morphology of it but it's yeah still I, would ag I would agree with that our um our dispensaries they do a really good job of educating people in terms of terpenes but um actually a couple of months ago i was <laughs> kind of cold calling other dispensaries because we were trying to figure out you know why they were pricing different strains the way that they were why were some strains uh $20 a gram others were 10 so I kind of called around a bunch of different dispensaries and I kind of got the same answer where everybody that was working was telling me that they were doing it based on you know like going back to that over 20 percent THC level so it was based on that but then also they got in to the rabbit hole of, you know, going into indica sativa hybrid. And they all say the same thing, you know, it's not indicative of the effects, but we can't get other customers to really understand that. So I think the industry knows where it needs to go. And I think the industry has a really good understanding of what needs to happen. It's just a matter of educating consumers um, and customers. And I think that just has to be, you know, not forcing it down their throats but every time they come in when they say indica sativa hybrid just kind of correcting like okay that's just you know where it's grown and location it doesn't have to do with effects i think it just has to be a lot of reinforcement on consumers um and i think that's going to be the most promising way because i know it still is very prominent for people to refer to effects with indica sativa hybrid so as if I go for side there, because Jameson's back, I had a question before I forget. Now, my understanding is some of these specific sativa dominant style plants that you were speaking, not sorry, not land races, but equatorials, very, you know, high ones, are typically lower yielding plants, or it can be a little bit more challenging to grow. Um, my understanding is that a, that a larger portion of the market, when they're requesting things, are very adamant about yield. How, how important do you find, how, how much value do you find uh, purchasers put in yield of uh, a plant product? Because you're, you're looking at the nursery level to, to sell to somebody that's going to grow them out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, for most, for 75% of my clients, it's, it's very important, if not one of the most important things. There are some more craft cultivators or larger scale operators that have denoted, you know, the, these specific rooms to qu quality over quantity, so to speak, um, where they'll run, um, you know, more market desirable strains. Like, I mean, ultimately at the end of the day it comes down to economics right so um the reason that we're seeing ice cream cakes and 
and wedding cakes prevalent and, 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 you know, those crosses in, you know, facilities both north and south of the border or GMO, you know, be, being hugely prevalent, you know, south of the border is, um, is because of its viability on an economic scale and you know it, it it's yields and hash or, or 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 whatever it is so i think that um if you have a facility running one cultivar and being known for that cultivar you know the yield is a very important thing where um if you have if you have a facility that's cycling through it it can kind of be a little bit more selective um 42 grams a square foot is kind of my threshold that I know will make sense at a commercial level. Um, a lot of, you know, really special things can be found, um, phenol hunting, but it, it, it's that commercial viability and that sort of experience running larger populations that, you know, I can draw on that helps me look for what's going to work well um, from a commercial standpoint. Um, you know, I've I've got had the pleasure to look through a lot of uh, Thug Pug gear, for example, as a breeder that comes to mind. Um, incredible, incredible flower, but it's really hard to find yielders. And so, um, you know, trying to work with the morphology of the plant and understand, you know, okay, well, what cultivation methodology or training methodology works best to get the best out of that plant takes multiple cycles. Um, but yeah, I think that yield is always important and you know even if if i'm growing something that yields a small amount it better be a lot more valuable like you know i will very much look forward to the day when you know it's financially viable for a cultivator to grow a dr green spoon so that he's and and, and get you know 42 dollars a gram wholesale for it so he can make sense of growing a room of it so you know i think that it's always important so you would say like your 42 was your threshold for the, the lowest amount per, per yeah like I, i'm probably not going to bring something forward that i think will do less than that i mean i'm not gonna guarantee anything because everybody you know cultivating is farming and farming is gambling but um yeah i i think that that's kind of an acceptable level for commercial viability at a conservative standpoint where you know i i keep my numbers low and you know under under promise and over deliver so and then what would uh what would be the flowering time on average that's usually a request because i mean that's the largest factor is when you have if you double from an eight week to a, to a 16 week flower um yeah. you're not only missing out on yield per square foot but but also on 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 a whole run out of it so is, is, is yeah. that a huge point do you find a lot of producers I find that valid? i think they're learning about it like i think that a lot of c-suite executives who you know came over from other industries just because they got a bigger salary um didn't pay much mind to you know somebody saying oh the plant takes nine and a half to ten to finish they'll just oh well, we'll fit it into our schedule because we're making widgets and i can move you know product out of a facility and so you know you see a or I've seen a lot of these starting at that sort of eight week mark. We're not looking at the glands. We're just going to take it at eight weeks and it's going to work in our Excel schedule and then suffering the ramifications of 
you know, a poor COA and, you know, lackluster numbers on the sale and then all the way going to sort of, okay, we're on our, you know, fifth flush of her and, you know, we're taking her nine, maybe nine and a half weeks and, you know, kind of finding that happy medium. So I think you have to get burnt uh, by, you know, trying to follow your calendar one or twice or three times in some cases until you sort of have to go, okay, well, you know, she's kind of on her own schedule and dependent on my cultivation methodologies and the temperatures in my rooms and the way my lights and, and, and the, you know, the way I run the facility, you know, could be the difference between, you know, I probably, you know, up to four days. So, um, you know, I can give you a, a, a rough estimate of when I like to have my flower finished, but like, for example, like, and I'll finish right after this, but like I have a, a Zookie's cut that, that when I take it at eight weeks, it's, it's great. It's very, it, it's extremely pleasant to smoke. It's very like chemi gluey, like the, the Zookie's is the animal cookies to the, to the Gorilla Glue 4. So it, and so at eight weeks, it's very gluey with like a slight lemon cookie finish. And then if I take it to nine weeks, the, the chemi glue like falls off. And when I cure it out, or even when I hash it, it's much more like lemon sugar cookie with like a funk finish and, and very little chem to speak of. So understanding your genetics and what they can do and where to take them. And, you know, GMO is another good example of, you know, people argue, I know guys who take it at nine weeks and I know guys who wouldn't touch it till 12. So, um, you know, what you're doing and, 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 and the product you're presenting, you know, all in the market you're selling to all play big factors in those decisions. But yeah, I think timing is a factor and every large publicly traded company wants an eight, wants an eight weeker. Um, the reality is, is they can't, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. So you're not going to get everything you want in a cultivar and, and the high cannabinoid profile you need to sell the flower at the price that you need in eight weeks. And, you know, there are some cultures that do that, but yeah, I think that, you know, that will be, if you're able to come with an eight week strain that produces very well and my numbers, there's a number of individuals in the licensed space here in Canada. Oh, the end totally just cut out there. I think you had a zinger and I missed it. Did, was I the only one that missed it? I just, I just said that uh, if you had, if you did have, you know, something that was in tune with today's flavor profiles that yielded very well and finished like finished period full stop at eight weeks i think there'd be a lot of cultivators licensed cultivators that would be interested in talking to you about that cultivar but you know market balance is something that's very important that we've seen i mean in canada we've been flooded with certain genetics through our licensed facilities and would have been a valuable genetic than you know due to supply oversupply and decreased demand and decreased value. So, you know, having your own unique genetics and keeping your clients is something that we're still figuring out as an industry here up in Canada. Because, I mean, most of the people that run this industry in the legal space had no legacy experience and no real connection to the plant. So these guys really have to learn these lessons the hard way, and, and it takes them a lot longer to you know, learn things that, that are very apparent to, you know, us in the room. Amen, brother. I got to ask, Ashley, 
while we're on the subject, we're talking about kind of finishing times. What kind of finishing times do a lot of your flower have in your area? What, what kind of, what's your, your, your week of flower? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, us being commercial, we have had to develop certain strains that we know um, are going to give us a, you know, more of a consistent finish in eight. Um, I have a couple nine-week strains um, that I can finagle into my schedule because we've got um, kind of a, a couple weeks off. So those ones we're looking to develop to actually fit because they have a little bit more time between another harvest. So you definitely on a commercial scale. Um, and Jameson hit it, you know, when you've got, well, this is how many pounds you guys need to produce a year. You do find those cultivars where, you know, you got to fit them into, into that cycle because your higher ups don't want to hear that, you know, you've got this fabulous strain. I mean, we've had to get rid of a handful of them, unfortunately, um, just to fit into our cycle. So I think that that is why you see certain genetics more prominent than others you know on a commercial scale if you're lucky enough you can you know you can set it up in your schedule um to have certain strains go into certain rooms because they've got more time but most people i could almost guarantee would have eight week strains um, i saw it in colorado and i see it here as well so um yeah 10 week strains i wouldn't be able to fit them into my into my cycle, unfortunately. So we're anywhere from eight to nine week flower times. Back in the day, there was this strain that was moved around Canada through the Hells and Angels called M39. And it would take around like, you know, 46 days to finish. They said 39, but it took 46. And uh, it was, uh, you know, at that time, you know, satisfied the market. But, you know, it, it, that quality of cannabis wouldn't, satisfy the consumer today but you know with the, all the work that's being done and the auto flower end of things and you know like i did not see the auto flowers getting to where they've gotten to so i think that there'll be you know some creative stuff being done in the future you know with with bunker crops and, and fitting a second one into an outdoor term and and, and just you know finding a the, the right use for the material that you cultivate so i think that there'll be you know some interesting stuff done with plant finishing plants and you know with legalization it just allows us to come out in the open and look through larger populations than we ever imagined before so you know and, and the more stuff we look through the the cooler stuff we're gonna find so i love it it's such a like it's so cool to be kind of in this space and see as it develops in the industry kind of takes off and, and, and how it grows well. so i don't find a lot of strains that are that are as delicious as they could be when they're at, at earlier than nine weeks I, I never kind of i feel like that's kind of the threshold for for strains to really develop it depends on what it is but a lot of what i pull and grab it is 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 that type of stuff and it is it is a cycle in trying to get that in i mean i take care of my family and my household i'm a home grower but it's it's a system every every three weeks four plants go four to eight plants go in and four to eight plants go out depending on the time cycle of these flowers so that i can be at 10 weeks or nine weeks in my tiny little space and keep that control statement going it takes so much time and effort and and and, and 
cumulative uh, knowledge also, that you guys have to do. It also, to breeders are shy, right? Like, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that's nine weeks is ten weeks. You know what I mean? It just, it's just you just get used to it, and you you know stuff that says it's nine weeks and it's actually nine weeks. That's like nice because most nine weekers i look at and i'm like i want to take this another week you know i'll I'll cut some down at nine and test it and cut some down at 10 test it and see what you know the difference was but more nine times out of ten i prefer the 10 week the the one the extra week 100 percent. i mean like it's also do you find i I would love to know if if we kind of go around would We'll go with Ashley. What do you find is the key lean? Do you find gas and stringent? Okay, now actually, wait. I got a better question for this. What do you think is coming up in the market? What do you think is going to be either the flavor or the direction of the market? We're getting close to the tail end here, so I'd like to go through the panel and, and ask each of you a question. Is what do you? Where do you see your market going when it comes to the next hot flavor or direction? Um, or um, is it good and or is it going to move towards extracts? And again, is that going to go towards solvents or not? So Ashley, we'll start with you. So what do you think flavor profile wise is going to happen in your area over the next year? What do you think the hot flavor is going to be? Um, I think two different two different answers for that. I think the adult use side um, is definitely moving more towards, you know, fruity flavors. I think medical is always going to be more gassy. You know, people are really, we used to, we used to grow a strain called Dozy Woe and uh, just super high in terpenaline. I mean, it smelled like turpentine and people just absolutely loved that. So I would say adult use, you know, more people new to the market, they're going to want, you know, their first time experience to really be a little bit more on the fruity side, in my opinion. But I would say the medical, more well-developed, more knowledgeable, uh, more experienced, they like those real gassy um, profiles, no doubt. If you could get specific for a flavor that you would love to have on your shelf, um, what would it be, like a very specific flavor? So I love anything that's kind of got a tangy um, flavor profile i used to grow jelly bean and that strain was just absolutely fabulous a lot of people are really looking more towards the sour flavors too we we grow a strain called plain jane and uh it just smells like cheese and people don't really like it i love that strain but um when we're kind of going through our cure process you can kind of really see how each one of those profiles um develops and our i would say Anything tangy, in my opinion, I think would sell like hotcakes because it's just, it's so pleasant, in my opinion. Dr. Anibus, you're up next. Uh, honestly, I, 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 I like earthy stuff. Like, I like the stuff that's, but, you know, on the same way with like perfumes and and just general sense in sense in general, like I steer clear of floral and fruity stuff. I like earthy, woodsy, you know, sage, herbal kinds of 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 smells. So I mean, that's what I personally would go for. But I do think that um, Ashley hit it on the nose that the the sort of 
you know, adult use and especially like novice or somebody who's just starting out on their journey um, goes for the more fruity type or floral type uh, aromas, whereas the medical uh, folks tend to um, kind of pick more, more stinky, more pungent sort of uh, strains. Awesome, and Nita, what about your area of town? What do you feel is the kind of the up and coming hot strains that people are looking for, or what do you think will be the next new flavor in your market? Um, I think actually, I think what we're gonna see um, in like the Canadian, or at least where I am in Ontario, um, the market is is a lot of like experimentation honestly um i think people are just going to be trying lots of different things but um i think it's going to be like that's the reason why the convenience thing is is uh going to be king like pre-rolls but like premium pre-rolls or different packs of pre-rolls um i know i'm pitching <laughs> you might see this on the market soon um like a like a dessert pre-roll packs so you got two wedding cakes two ice cream cakes two mandarin cookies like kind of things like that um i think those types of things is like just the marketability of um different packaging of of strains not so much new strains um but i think that's what we're going to see a lot of um like premium grind especially um it's super popular um and what i'm hearing from retailers is that they can't keep things like that on on the shelves um so that's something that um the market changes all the time so that's probably going to change but because it's such a brand new open space everybody's going hog wild and they want to try everything and they want to be fast about it <laughs> so um that's why i think that uh that part of the market is going to go so Awesome. Wicked answer. Molly, are you available? What do you think is going to be the popular thing here in BC or even in general over the next little while? This is Molly. Um, with the amount of conversations I've been having lately where people are quite surprised at the fact that things actually can, you know, s smell pretty strong, but not, you know, the regular um I guess, typical skunky cannabis smell. Um, I still find that most of the products that we have on the markets are pretty low in the terpene content. So for a lot of people, I think it's a bit hard to make their conclusion on what they actually prefer um, with the products that we have available. Um, I do think with the you know rise of people growing and people trying more of the homegrown stuff, um, they definitely, you know, because it's usually a lot fresher, um, you would have an interesting experience with. I do strongly believe that we'll have, you know, more people kind of diving into that. But in terms of flavors, I would be so happy if we actually had anything that's really sweet on the market um, that was not super dry and where you can actually, you know, uh, roll up your joint and try to, you know, pull the air through and taste it. Because... There isn't really that much product that's like that. Um, I haven't really come across much that was good in that way. So I would be really happy if we got had anything that was uh, in a, on a sweeter side. Um, more particularly, like, 
fruity citrusy nose but the more like a berry ones because they are again on a sweeter side not the not the citrusy side more on the sweet side so for me blueberry og that i've grown before is still on the flavor profile is probably the most favorite i've ever had just because it was um you know a nice experience smoking it and every single person i have uh, gifted some to um was very pleasantly surprised um myself included and you know to this day kind of bummed out that i don't have that genetic anymore but um i just wish we had a bit more product that was kind of on a similar site where um it is actually sweet and not just kind of like a slight hint of that um so i would be kind of happy to see that because i think we do have plenty of earthy um citrusy products out there not that much stuff that's actually sweet and i'm complete i think we're gonna see gelatos because we haven't really seen gelatos here in canada and so that's gonna deliver on the hopefully you know sweetness like the issues in molly are talking about have less to do with the genetic and have more to do with issues companies have around post harvest processes and sops around drying and carrying and packaging and then issues we have around getting our product to market but um gelatos haven't even touched you know canada and they're just starting to so i think like when done well those will make a big impact as far as the fruit and sweet side goes and then nobody's you know save for a few small micros are really able to you know produce gas and get it to the market um you know if you could repeatedly you know produce a, a truly gassy profile i think you would attract a lot of consumers to that uh to that product so i think that you'll see uh i'm starting to see larger companies start to look to larger populations of genetics to find stuff that will work for them so hopefully we'll start seeing you know a slight improvement on quality i'm hoping um you know i'm hoping to be a part of that so uh you know gas is to me what i want to see on the canadian market that i know is already present on you know more mature markets down south but uh that's what i would see and then i think that solventless is great but i think that we have a lot to open up on the hydrocarbon side just from a price point standpoint before we start diving into you know single source 90u you know ridiculousness that i'm into and you know let leave that for you know the legacy market for now and, and really get get a hold of uh get a hold of the hydrocarbon side of things and and, and offer really good products at really low prices and, and get people into using concentrates in canada more so that's my that's my two cents all right marley you're up next what do you think is the next hot flavor what do you want to see on your um honestly ashley kind of nailed it for me i think you know, whether we consider it like adult use and med or experienced uh, consumers versus new ex consumers. I think the fruity, more limonene dominant um, strains are definitely going to be for the up and coming people, the people that like need to get into cannabis um, and kind of their entry level. So I think that'll be really big on the adult use side. And then medical, I honestly think the more experienced consumers are always going to go for gassy um and for me personally i kind of like the combination my ideal <laughs> strain is like mimosa um our platinum garlic 
rosins we extract it it's just like limonene and gas put together um so if we could get the market on that that would be like my dream flavor coming out um but yeah i would say gassy is always going to have a huge presence and i think the more experienced people get i think the more it's going to shift to that um and honestly uh same thing with what jameson said i think you know any up and coming market um you need some type of cheap concentrate to get people in the door to concentrates and kind of open up that window and then once you do that's when you can start introducing more of the high-end things um you know maybe they stick with the classics but i think concentrates are always going to be an up-and-coming market and uh same thing with pre-rolls i think i think it was the number was 60 nine seventy percent increase from 2020 to 2021 in pre-roll sales so i think convenience is always going to be uh huge for the consumer so that's kind of my take on it but overall i'm a gassy and limonene dominant person so hey london i want to know what you want and then also i wanted to ask just everybody in general if they see different trends between what males prefer versus what females might prefer uh i am on the hunt right now i want something like that's that's got a really melon flavor i think that's going to be up and coming i think what's going to hit the market really well and get received pretty quick and hard it will be uh something along the cereal milk or kind of like um that milk cereal flavor profile, I think will get received really, really well, especially when you get it into like a cake. Uh, I think it's the direction, there's just a whole region of flavors there that aren't really being played with too much with the whole baked goods and cereal scene. Uh, but I, I think when it comes down to flavor profiles, apple and melon, I think are gonna be the two fruits that I, I, I think are gonna be hunted and sought after in the next few years. Um, and I think, uh, of course, there's always gonna be those people looking for that gas. But what I hear the most about when it comes to like that gassy deep end is, is just, straight skunk like something really on that cheesy skunk line um and and, and really uh very pungent in that skunky kind of platform way is what i what i hear a lot of people looking for and and what i think um i i always find it's interesting how these amazing new flavors can pop up and things that you never even know i have a friend give me some apricot kush that just absolutely blew my mind and it just had so much apricot flavor profile and it was just nuts um but then i think what, what was the second part of your question there that we're going to go through real through the group um if there's a if there's a uh a, a, a female versus male sort of preference if males tend to go for one sort of you know the deeper woodsier kind of stuff and i don't know is there is there a gender difference or is it just you know because like perfumes and deodorants for example for women it's like florals and fruits and for men it's like you know old spice and and stuff like that so i was wondering if there is a preference i don't think so i my, see a bit of a different tendency no. i think people who tend to smoke more and like you know more experienced they usually kind of tone it down but people who smoke occasionally i find a lot of them like the lighter fruitier notes um the more citrusy stuff uh not necessarily the earthy piney things 
So I think there's been a little bit of, of, of this scene. Oftentimes there'll be like, like uh, little cases or studies done at like festivals of cannabis and stuff like that. I know they did a little, they got a bunch of people to fill out a questionnaire at like fucking Emerald Cup and all the women preferred one side and all the men preferred another. But that's, I don't think there's a preference when it comes down to it. I think that that specific is, is a bunch of dudes bringing their girlfriends that don't smoke that much weed and them going towards, oh, this is lemon and easy to smoke and pine. Can I, you know what I mean? Can I jump in on this? Yeah, go for it, Jameson. So the reason that I think that I think Molly is right in what she said, one hundred percent. But the reason that I think she's right is that people who are new or smoke less cannabis have less experience with cannabis, and therefore they gravitate towards what in their mind, you know, is more appealing, which is fruity and 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 energizing. Whereas the people, as Molly refers to, who consume more cannabis, which are people who have integrated it into their daily lives, tend to gravitate more towards sedative cannabis is because they've been out there, they've tried all the things, and they've resoundingly realized that, like, this is right for them. And, like, I completely understand that there's variability within this, and I know a lot of, not a lot of, but I know the odd person who loves a, a, a equatorial and receives the counter effect from it and it chills them out. But I find those people extremely rare. And I find that generally gas and earth will relax people and generally fruit and floral somewhat sometimes carry more stimulating effects. Whereas like, you know, we've talked about everything's been polyhybridized so much that you can have fruit with a relaxing effect. But typically I, I, I find the most relaxing cultivars are accompanied by fuel and, and earth i think um the only thing that um i i would i would just jump in here is that um a lot of women that i speak to or that follow me on social media or send me messages or whatnot um do tell me that they prefer like like strains that are energizing because they have to do things during the day or whatnot or even on the weekends and so they can't be sedating they're they're responsible for their kids and all sorts of stuff right and so um they just can't step out that way and so that they find strains like i don't know like cinderella 99 like it's, it's a nice one to like um you know just clean the house totally, kind of like totally. zone out and sort of do that but and for me i might be an odd person but i love like uh like cbd in mixed in with that i like it during the day like a like a like a like an energizing strain with and or some cbd like mixed in sometimes like in the daytime and then i like the sedating at in the evening and that's my daily thing right so i think there's a lot of people more like me where it's a time and a place so like they like different cultivars throughout the day like it's a curated day depending on what you're doing so like, like you have a morning strain 100%. and an evening strain. 100%. Yeah. Couldn't agree. Yeah. Yeah. I curate every day. It's amazing. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I think once somebody gets into it, that's how it tends to go. And uh, I'm one of those people that needs to be switching throughout the day and doing different flavors. It's just my personal preference. Marley, we didn't get your opinion on that last question. And then we're going to wrap it up here, guys. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know. I have a, huff, a tough time just because. A lot of my girlfriends that I do have, they are getting into cannabis. And so I can't tell, like, I don't, 
I think it may be swayed to say that like all women like the fruity and uplifting things. I don't know if I want to call it like female versus male, but again, going back to like the experience, I too, I find myself where, you know, if I'm going to be smoking during the day, I want something energetic. I want to go, 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 get everything finished. And then at the end of the day is when I want to relax. Um, so I honestly, I don't know if I have a good opinion on that, but I will say just in my like intimate friend group, I have found that the guys do like gassy, the girls like more fruity, but I don't know if that's enough of a sample size to justify it, but that's just kind of my take on it. And it's probably totally not PC to even talk about like gender preferences, but I was just like, we were talking, we, we were talking, discussing a paper last night and that came up and. I do, yeah, like there's a difference between, you know, experienced versus not so experienced, but it also seems like at least when I was going around to dispensaries, like women just generally didn't really like going into dispensaries in general because a lot of times the person behind the counter was male, maybe, you know, just it was kind of an uncomfortable experience. So I'm just wondering if, you know, not necessarily that there's a, a gender thing but just uh, like a comfortability thing i don't know like no, i, think I would there. i just I don't know what it is i think that, that we should have this a whole nother topic just because like seriously because yeah. it is a male dominated and women are in coming into this industry like not not everybody but a lot of are newer right and so um there there is something there like I, i'm that i've also experienced so like and yeah, I, mean, I think a lot of my <laughs> yeah a lot of my yeah. girlfriends they do they really struggle and luckily they have me and like they'll ask me all these questions but they're like i don't want to go into dispensary i don't want to do all this because they feel like they look dumb because they're not as educated as the people behind the bar and i don't know if it's just because they're women or what it is but i definitely can agree with that and the female-owned dispensaries, definitely, like you can, you can tell when you go into a dispensary if it's a female-owned um, dispensary. It just, it feels, it looks more like a makeup counter than, you know, yeah. a, I don't know. Like it's just, it's different, you know. And I know that there was a trend back in when Ashley was in Colorado too that women were doing more like Tupperware parties, like in-home parties, to purchase and um get their cannabis products because they really just weren't comfortable going into dispensaries like the green mile which is like you know this giant long street and there's like a hundred dispensaries on this one street but a lot of them are not like it's just not comfortable going into them i think that is an awesome point and a, a great subject for another episode uh, however if we do not have much left on this subject i know we could probably talk about, about this forever but we are coming close to a time and i actually have some family friends over um so i i hate to cut it short here uh, do we have anything else that we would any other points specifically related to market trends and where we're going um that we wanted to bring up before we end the show today Awesome. Well, I just want to finish and say thank, thank you, each and every one of you, Ashley, Dr. Anubis, Anita, Molly, Jameson, and Marley. I it was excellent meeting you today, Marley. Uh, it was an awesome show. I look forward to doing it again every Tuesday like we do, so don't forget to check out the day hour. And there's Josh <laughs> at the very last minute as we do the closing call out. And there you have it, everybody. Another episode of the Resonate 
Radio podcast. Thank you so much for making it all the way through to the end. We appreciate the downloads, the follows. Leave us a review if you're listening to us on the Apple podcast. Please subscribe and hit the bell over on YouTube and Twitch. You can find us over there at Resonate Media. You can also find us on Instagram at Team Resonate. You can also send us an email to info at resonatecannabis.com. I hope you all have a wonderful day and thank you so much again for taking the time to listen to us here on Resonate Radio. We'll see you again next time. Thank you.